0: I don't know how often you think of this. Uh, It's not as often as maybe I should, but every Sunday morning when we gather here together, it's not just our church gathering. Uh, There are a lot of churches in a lot of different places, sometimes at different times. I have uh, some friends that are over in the Philippines on Saturday nights. I see them that like they're starting their worship services, and so it's kind of cool to see that happen. Well, there are a couple of churches that are doing a couple of neat things this morning. Some of you know that Velocity was planted as part of Waypoint Church Partners, and they continue to plant churches, and there's a brand new church plant called Renew Christian Church that is having their very first Sunday today, and um, so that's something that's really cool uh, to be connected with and partnered with, absolutely. And then just on a, like a side, per, side note, personal level, uh, one of my best friends is at Venture Christian Church in Wilmington, North Carolina, and after 17 months of building out their new space, uh, converting a, spe- a pre-existing space into their worship space, they're able to meet in their church building for the first time today. And so that's pretty cool too. And yes, we're celebrating and clapping it out, absolutely. And I, I just wanna say a quick prayer for them uh, real quick, if you don't mind. God, uh, we lift up Renew and Venture this morning and uh, the celebration that it is for them to be gathering uh, for some of them uh, for the very first time as a church. Uh, for venture, their first time in this new space, and uh, we just ask that you uh, prayed for uh, just just energy and a, a renewed spirit uh, for those congregations as they um, kind of get this this first Sunday out of the way, and then continue on into the, into the coming ones. And uh, we just ask that you bless um, who they are as a as a group of people, and also bless their efforts to share the gospel with those that um, maybe haven't been to church in a long time or, or haven't ever been to church at all. So. We lift them up this morning it 's in Jesus name we pray amen i'm i'm pretty good at i 'm um, pretty good at destruction i don't can anybody re- relate to that like if you have a project at your house and you need some demo work done, I can help you out with that when it comes to when it comes to finish work though and building things up there's some things I can do, some things that I will do, some things that take me longer than they should do uh, you <laughs> Don't, don't talk to my wife about that. Uh, and, but but I, will, I will tell you, like I'm not as good on the construction side. There's th- too many things that I don't know. I, I, can, I can tear something down and mostly not hurt myself. But when it comes to building something up, that's a little bit harder. And so we're gonna be talking about that over the next couple weeks. We're actually gonna be talking about some, uh, in some respects you could consider these some controversial topics in regards to how the world kind of views Christianity and, and how we move through those things and how we think about our faith. And, and the reason we're talking about these things is because they're really important, even if there are things that aren't hitting you in the face right now in your life personally, I guarantee you, I know for a fact, there are people in your life, whether in your family or coworkers or friends, whatever they are, that are dealing with these things very head-on in their life. And so we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about those things and what a godly perspective is on these things and just how we navigate through. Um, all, uh, all approaches are not equal. And, and that's, that's one of the things we're going to deal with through the sermon series called Reconstruction. Okay, so we're going to be talking about some uh, Christian subculture issues. Uh, we're going to talk about, today we're going to talk about the Bible specifically. We're going to talk about the problem of pain. We're going to talk about the exclusivity of Christianity. And we're going to talk about human sexuality over the next few weeks. And there's kind of a Christian subculture term that some of you may or may not be familiar with that kind of deals with all of these things and is is kind of a pop culture approach to some of these items. And the term is called deconstruction. I don't know, some of you may have heard that term before. Some of you may be completely unfamiliar with it. But kind of the popular way that deconstruction is viewed, or at least it's um, defined these days, is faith deconstruction is the rethinking of beliefs, most often including rejecting previously held beliefs, sometimes to the point of dismantling and walking away from faith. Now some of you have watched, or some of you have been through this personally, some of you have watched other people go through this and not necessarily known that there was a term associated with this process, but that's kind of, that is kind of the thing, it's called deconstruction. There are authors, books you can read, there are podcasters, there's YouTubers, there's um, random social media experts like in their mom's basement, Um, that have become, is that not funny? Maybe a little too personal there. Uh, That have become popular destinations for deconstruction discipleship. Now here's where this starts to get really important. Everyone goes through deconstruction. Everyone does this to some degree. Not necessarily to its fullest extent. But I just want to kind of identify, this is like, a again, a real popular term in Christian subculture, and I just want to identify the fact that this has been around forever. This is not a new thing. However, the way that people approach this has become a little bit different. The assumption is that all approaches to this issue are equal, and that's just simply simply not the case. All of us go through changes in belief. I mean, I don't, because I've never been wrong. So, I, you know, I've never had to do this in my life, right? Right, honey? Um, you didn't get the reaction. I didn't get the reaction. I thought I was going to. We've, we've all gone through this, where we've grown up thinking something. If If I believed everything about God, everything about Jesus, everything about the Bible that I believed when I was a kid, I would have a very narrow weird view of how God operates, what the Bible has to mean, and how that's meant to impact my everyday life. So all of us have gone through this process. Now, all of us have gone through it in different ways. I've spent a long time in my life intentionally asking questions, reading the Bible, asking um, asking people to help me understand that, study. There's a lot of intentionality that goes goes through those things. We need this process of going through and learning more, gaining godly wisdom, strengthening where we need, need strength, and discarding wrong thinking. This approach continues to build our faith. But like I said, the the pop culture version of this is a little bit different because it's And maybe this seems a little subtle in the way that you've seen this worked out in somebody's life, but but it's not very nuanced. It's really the decision is being made between whether or not we're gonna live by faith or whether or not we're gonna live by doubt. They could seem very similar on the surface, but when it comes to how it impacts our hearts and our minds and our relationship with God it's a very significant change. And one of the things that we have to recognize is that the culture around us continues to shift away from godly values. And it hasn't always been set on godly values. It, like, it's, I would say it's never been 100% set on godly values. There's never been like this one to one re- ratio where we could look back on our culture and society and say, oh, this is where we perfectly, as a society, follow God in all things and lived out the Bible. And as our, continue, as our culture continues to shift away from those things, at some point we need to recognize that shifting our beliefs to mesh well with society means that at some point we're not going to be worshiping God anymore, that we're going to be worshiping, worshiping something else or someone else. If through this process, for example, you end up with a God who never disagrees with the culture around you, or if you end up with a God who never agrees, disagrees with you, and who fits in with everything else. It may be that instead of worshiping God, you've reformed him into the image of something else you've made more important, maybe yourself. The current approach seems to be live out the most permissive, loving orthodoxy you can muster without the consideration that maybe your faith, maybe if our faith has been placed in the wrong things and in the wrong ideas, Uh, working through those things does not equal moving further away from the God of the Bible. Again, this is nothing new. In fact, this is addressed very directly by Jude in the very short letter of Jude in verse 17, starting in verse 17 in the New Testament. Here's what Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, writes. He says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. This has always been the case. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I don't know if you know this, but Christianity is not the leader in the clubhouse as far as popularity contests in our culture. Do you, do you uh, hopefully you know, like, um, I'm not sure, let's see. Leader in the clubhouse today, I think, is probably the commanders as far as jerseys that I've seen uh, today. I'm not not sure Uh, there might be a fight in the parking lot afterwards between cowboys and uh, commanders. I think uh, Is that all who's represented here today on the start of pro football? I don't know. Um, We know that Christianity isn't leader in the clubhouse in popularity contests these days. Of course, you also have to ask people what they mean when they say Christianity because that can mean all kinds of different things these days. But this was even more so the case when Jude was writing. Christianity was far less popular when Jude was writing this letter than it is today. Uh, Far less popular is, is a gross understatement, by the way. It was actively persecuted. And Jude reminds his readers with this letter that there will be times of division that are caused when people rely on their own understanding and ideas about God, and so we must build ourselves up. With prayer and the Holy Spirit, so we're guided by the heart and mind of God and keeping ourselves in God's love, marking the way that we do so. And so how do we do that? How do we build ourselves up, especially when our faith breaks down? Maybe there are moments, experiences that we have, changes of thinking, ideas that have been introduced to us that we weren't familiar with before. We have questions and experiences that cause us to wrestle with what we believe. Well, Jesus says, remember what the apostles told you. Jews referencing in-person conversations, sermons, and letters of the men that early church were directly engaged with who had been discipled by Jesus. And remembering God's words, that's, that's what he's referring to. He's not saying the apostles are all that important. He's saying remember God's words through them is the way that we're built up in the faith. And the most popular book in the world and the one allegedly the most shoplifted or stolen in the world is the Bible, a collection of God's works, what he wants us to know about him. So when Jude says, remember what the apostles had to say, he's referring back to God's words. We have this collection of works for us to be able to remember what God wants us to know. My concern is that we have so many resources at our disposal that are about the Bible, that we become more familiar with what an author or a pastor or a podcaster or a TikToker or whoever. We've become more familiar with what one of those people has to say about the Bible instead of being familiar with the text Ourselves, and when it comes to learning more about the Bible, when it comes to our questions, when it comes to the study, when it comes to our experiences in life, there's no substitute for personally reading the Bible on an ongoing basis. This is how we build up our faith. This is how we handle weird experiences and things that don't seem to mesh well with the life that we think that we want in this world. Here's how Paul encourages Timothy to keep building up his faith in Second Timothy chapter three. In fact, and this is verse twelve. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the sermon of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, this doesn't mean that there's never going to be a time. Like, if we read the Bible and we read it on an ongoing basis and we constantly go back to God's Word for our questions and dealing with things that we don't understand, it doesn't mean that there won't be times we get things wrong. It doesn't mean that there won't be times that we have difficulty understanding. But we're missing out on a huge opportunity for the results that Paul identifies in this passage that come along with knowing scripture if we are not reading the Bible for ourselves. And this is one of the biggest challenges, I think, that it comes to today's pop culture way of living out and talking about Christianity. The things that challenge us or cause us to doubt or question are only as powerful or seemingly insurmountable to the degree that we give them the way to faith. And, and that's kind of the choice that we're making of what we're going to choose to put more faith in. Is it going to be the doubt, or is it going to be the faith that God is who he says he is? It's not that the Bible is what saves us. I think it's, I think it's important to, to, to make sure that that's clear. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we just read it, Paul says that our salvation is through faith in Jesus. But it's the Bible that helps us to become wise in our understanding and living out our discipleship in Christ. Wise to salvation is how he puts that in the text. To be clear, we don't worship the Bible, but we do worship the Word who was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is a description that John gives us about Jesus. And the Bible tells us about what that looks like, means for us, and what we should do about it. The problems that we have with the Bible tend to exist because we've placed our trust in something other than God's preserved wisdom. Whether it's our own understanding, whether it's somebody else's ideas, whether it's our own lived experience or the way that we feel about who God should be. And kind of one of the popular um, or this, this symptom, one of the main sy- symptoms of popular Christian subculture deconstructionism is an erosion of trust in the Bible. Is this move from, am I going to live by faith or am I going to live by, by doubt? Um, I know for me, for my process, I would say absolutely I've been through deconstruction in my life. Um, I've gone from a kid who grew up in church to being involved in church, to going to a Bible college, to going to a university seminary. And all along the way, there were things that challenged my beliefs and understandings. I, I will tell you, I do not believe the same things that I believed as a, as a teenager. I do not believe the same things that I believed as a college kid. I've shifted you know, on things that I believed when I was in, in seminary. I mean, in all those ways, there's growth, there's processing, there's, there's understanding. And that's something that we should participate in. But we're not if we're not actively reading the text for for ourselves. It doesn't have to erode everything that we believed in our life. That's only if we just stop with what somebody else has to say versus what God has to say in, in the text. There are things that are matters of opinion. There are things that are held to that I've absolutely done away with in my life. And I have a better relationship with God for it. And pruning is a very important process that we go through. But it doesn't mean that we cut off the entire bush. We don't cut ourselves off from, from the root. That's where the popular part that comes in can be so problematic in whether or not we're building up our faith or, or just tearing it down. And I know either we have questions like, well, is the Bible reliable? Or other people have questions like that. Is the Bible reliable? I mean, l- let me just hit a couple, couple things because there's so many different ways that that question is answered. Some of you have been in situations, contexts in which that kind of question isn't even allowed. Like, you, you, no, you don't, you don't question those things. I would say here at our church, absolutely, have those questions. We want to talk about that kind of stuff. That's really important things for us to deal with. For example, one of the historical objections is that the Bible is, well, it's just made up of legends. Well, actually, from a, a you know, literary work standpoint, the timing is far too early for the content of the Bible to be considered legends. I mean, the people that Jude is referencing when he writes this letter, these are people that are still alive, that can be talked to. I mean, so much of, like when Luke writes his gospel, he says, hey, I went and talked and interviewed people that these things actually ta- actually happened to. I mean, these are people that are living with uh, people who, like, would be able to actively deny that these things happened in their life, and yet people didn't, people didn't do that. Like, there's an, uh, this secondary work against the Bible to say, hey, these people made all of these ca- thing, things up. Um, this is this is like, you know, hey, you know, 10 years ago, I'm telling you about this trip, you know, that I took with my family. It was this, uh, this amazing thing. It's like, yeah, we, we got pictures of that. You were there, and you remember you took care of our dog when these things happened. Like, that's the context in which Scripture is written. Or the other thing is the content is far too counterproductive for the Gospels to be legends. Um, I'll just let you know, like, as you read through the New Testament, especially the Gospels, Jesus' closest followers, they look pretty dumb. Like it's, it's okay to say that. Uh, they, they say and do some things that don't, don't fit really well. In fact, you know, some of the things that, that Jesus says are pretty counterproductive for his life continuing. I mean, he was crucified as, as a result. I mean, there's so many things within the text that, uh, that, that don't... Um, <laughs> That, that wouldn't be there if somebody was just trying to pull the wool over other people's eyes, uh, other, people's, other people's eyes. Um, why would, for example, Jesus in the Gospels be in the Garden of Gethsemane trying to get out of his mission? Why would the apostles be petty and jealous and ignorant and ready to quit and quick-tempered? Why would women be the first to the tomb? That nobody would ever write that in the literature of that day because they were viewed as uh, probably less than second class at that time. And then even just the literary form of the Gospels is too detailed to be legend. Um, C.S. Lewis, who some of you know, like he wrote Mere Christianity, that guy's a Christian, that's how he approached this. Well, he didn't start that way, he started as an atheist. But he was a professor and was a literary critic, and his reading of the text and recognizing how ancient it was and how detailed it was, that this is not the type of literature that you would find in that day and age, it's something different, it's something special. Other historians confirm the uh, Josephus, Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, and others confirm the events of the Bible. We look at archaeology, we see those things. I, I, my point in bringing all of this up is that not all approaches are considered equal when it comes to asking questions of the Bible. Sometimes they're just assumptions made that, oh, well, you know, the Bible, it can't be true because, you know, because it's ancient texts and all that kind of stuff. Well, Well, let's talk about that. There, there's some answers to some of those questions. And let's not make assumptions that, that don't actually bear out when it comes to the text. Um, there's no other ancient writing that has the kind of manuscript evidence that the Bible does. It is wholly unique in the tens of thousands of copies that are, have come along with, with the text. We keep talking sometimes when it comes to like our erosion of trust in the Bible and we see that happen with people's lives and we say, is the Bible reliable? But there's actually a different question that we should be asking as followers of Jesus instead of that. And that is, are we reliable readers of the Bible? That's the one that's a little bit more important for people of faith. This can mean bias and the lens through which we read the text because we all come with that to the text. Um, But here I'm just asking do, do we read it? Are we reliable readers of the Bible? I've shared a few years, ago, several years ago. I shared some uh, statistics from the Center for Bible Engagement, and I'm just this is quick hitting. Like I'm not going to read everything to you, but I just want to. Re- I want you to read through this list of reading the Bible four times per week. What it what it decreases the odds of temptation of you giving into temptations. I'll stay here by trying and trying not to uh, close up. Can you go back to the temptations one? Thank you. Um, just, just read through that list real quick the percentage in which these things drop just by reading the Bible four or t- more times a week All right, let's go to the next one dealing with these issues I love being more bitter I don't know about you I like being bitter sometimes um, it makes me feel better uh, when I can be bitter I mean, just read through that te- do, you, do you know anybody that deals with these issues in their life All right, let's go to the next one. Higher odds of... Well, maybe not the first one, right? (laughs) Don't... (laughs) Wow, okay, all right. I see where we are. Discipling others, sharing our faith with others, giving, you know, being sacrificial. Is there another one? I think that was the last one. There's some great... Is there one more? Oh, yes, the best one. You feel like, you know, your erosion... Uh, trust in the Bible and God and stuff is is happening. How about feeling spiritually stagnant? I just don't feel like God is with me. You know, I just don't feel like my relationship with God is the same, these kinds of things. Are you in the text feeling like you can't please God? Oh, man. Um, I was teaching Bible last week, and um, a young lady said something about what we have to do to, to make God happy. And I said, man, I... Let me just tell you, I, I don't think that's what the text suggests. I think, I think, he's, already, I think he's already happy. I mean, there's some things that, that he wants different in our life, but man, God considers you his child. And l- let me just tell you, like your, your efforts in life are not about whether or not you can make God happy. That's, that's not what the text has to say. There's some uh, great percentages through some great, great things, but I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't mean anything if we're not reading the text. The Center for Biblical Engagement, their conclusion was the lives of Christians who do not engage with the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as the lives of non-believers. Sometimes the erosion of trust that people have in the Bible is that it doesn't seem like our lives match up to it. I mean, that's, like, that's, that's, what, that's what we're looking to. Oh Yeah, Scripture says this, but that's not what you're doing or saying or, or being. If we don't read the Bible, then our lives are not going to look like Jesus's. Listen, every human being is guilty of hypocrisy. The accusation that the church is full of hypocrites, we, yes, 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 I'm a hypocrite. That's, that's why I need Jesus. I mean, that's why, that's why I'm here, absolutely. Hopefully it's because we're self-aware enough to know that we need the help of the Holy Spirit to minimize this in our lives, and that's why we acknowledge that we need Jesus. There are two things. Um, this is, these are the last couple of things I'm going to say this morning. There are two things that happen when someone's trust that God communicates to us, to us through his word. When that trust arose, there are two um, just key things that happen. The first is that we pull away from community. Um, I wasn't sure if I should include the parenthetical statement that I have there, but often blaming other people for this. Now listen, here's the caveat. Next week, we're going to talk about pain and suffering. We're going to talk about that in the church and what happens when the church hurts us or people in the church more accurately. We're going to deal with that head on. That's a real thing. It's happened. It's happened to me. Like I, like I, I, I get that and understand that. Um, but one of the key things when it comes to our erosion of trust in the Bible and pop deconstructionism, like this is one of the first things is when we say, oh, in order for me to follow these other people, I have to completely cut myself off from anybody else that may or may not disagree with me. That's a a problem. We should be okay with having relationships with people who challenge us and keep us accountable. And the second thing is we just listen to what people have to say about the Bible more than we read it ourselves. Um, I think that the temptation that the enemy utilizes most effectively is for us to be apathetic toward knowing what the Bible actually has to say. I, I mean, Satan does not want us to develop trust, faith and trust around the why the Bible says what it does, and that's the fact that God is behind it and preserves his word for us. The choice effectively being made is we either choose to live by faith or live by, foul, live by doubt. Everyone is confronted with deconstruction. You learn something you didn't know before or you hadn't considered, and you go through the process um, I think some, you remember the game Jenga? I thought about playing it up here, uh, and then I thought that would be a really obnoxious. Um, it's, it's like playing Jenga and saying, oh, well, let, let's take out this piece and let's, let's look at it and check it out, that's cool. Um, and I'm gonna sit over here, I'm not, well, I don't like this piece, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this out, and we just keep pulling, and here's this foundational thing, so we'll t- take this out and we play until the thing collapses. Well, What do you do with Jenga? You put it back together so you can keep, keep playing with it. It's, it's like kind of playing it, letting it fall, and just walking away and never picking it back up again. When we approach it with this popular way of, I'm just going to cut myself from community. I'm not going to read the text at all. I'm just going to listen to what other people have to say. Um, there are ways in which we, we live as a church that we don't just do things just to do them. Some of our small groups are, are starting to reform and gather back again You know, with the fall coming in, with the summer being behind us. Uh, one of the things, one of the most important things that we do in our small groups that we don't get an opportunity to do on a Sunday morning, for example, is we talk about scripture. And we talk about what it looks like to practically live that out. We've got some d-groups that'll gather. If you are interested in being a part of that, very small groups that talk about what the text means practically for us to live out our faith. Um, the way in which we approach this in our youth group, you know, we, we want to ask questions we want to develop understanding and change where we need to change. But the only way that we do that in a healthy way with God, with our faith in God, is to read and to know the text and share that together. So I want to encourage you, if you don't have a, an area in life in which you are doing that, um, sign up for a small group, ask about a D group, um, go to youth group, um, you know, develop a relationship with somebody here in the congregation in which you can do that together. Have those conversations. Listen, listen, um, I get there's so much more that we can be, that can be said about all of these issues, and I would love to be a resource for you to to think through and go through this my My trust and faith in God is not because I put my head in the sand like that's that's not me um, i'm going to go through i 'm the kind of guy that before I buy something on amazon i 'm going to read all the reviews like there's a thousand four point five star reviews yeah i 'll read them all and and I want to see the pictures and And, like, I'm more than willing to go through those things with you. And the people in your life that are struggling with these things, they need you to be willing to go through those things with you, too. And so read the text. Um, Have it in your life. And you're going to be building up something much stronger in your faith uh, than anything else that comes at you in this life. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for this time uh, to gather and to worship you, to focus solely on you uh, through your word. And God, we, we recognize that while we're not worshiping the Bible, uh, we, we are worshiping the one who breathed the word so that could, it could change and impact our lives in the way that we, uh, way that we practically go about our every day. So God, help us to um, recognize that that um, maybe, uh, maybe just lack of thinking about it or lack of desire or uh, just not a part of our routine in in reading the Bible, help us to see that that, that's probably more likely spiritual warfare, a temptation for us not to engage because the enemy knows how much it changes and impacts our lives. God, help us to uh, be inspired through your Holy Spirit to be in the text and to know you more and to know how you want us to respond and live with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every week,